0: Welcome to the Church of Mabus radio show. It's a Friday night, 7 11 p.m. Central. Uh, last month we were on vacation and I had a flu and COVID outbreaks in the house. Luckily, that's that's better. Uh still been feeling like sick. It's just weird. I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> like, it's just something. But uh, it's life,
1: it's killing you, yeah. man. I'll just
0: say this last week's been shortastic, and that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> there's been like weird stomach. I don't know. It's like, is this crap gonna go away ever? <laughs> like, there's something that's like three rounds to it or something. But uh, we got Wham here with us tonight. Hey, hey, we got uh, JR Mascaro. Did I say that correctly? I think I did. Yeah, said fine. How are you? That's right. It's it. it <laughs> I figured I was. I just like to make sure. Don't want to Georgia. it up. So you, where were you born? New Jersey. New Jersey. A sorcerer in New Jersey is like cyberpunk. Right. Like
2: cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in. I was born in the like more rural part of New Jersey, which exists. It, it does exists. exist.
1: Yeah. yeah, there are huge rural parts of New Jersey. <laughs>
2: everyone, everyone just equates New Jersey to like immediately with the ten miles within you know the Newark Airport vicinity. I'm like, there's more. There's more out there. <laughs>
1: Right. Or or whatever is immediately across the river from New York City. Yes. Those those are like the two.
2: The airport and Hoboken. That's what we got.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) And uh, we just had a I saw the, the Elvis movie a few days before I heard about the Lisa Marie Presley thing. And it was actually decent. Besides being as long as Lord of the Rings, I didn't think I could take Elvis for three hours. But it was I did it. It was good. Tom Hanks was a little weird in it, but it was like, I still don't know what the hell was going on with that. His Colonel Parker, but it's like, is he a Nazi? Like he doesn't have a passport. Like, is he gonna, you know, turn into? I don't know. It was weird. Just he sounded kind of like he was gonna, Zick out, like turn into a Nazi or something. But it's worth watching. But then it was kind of eerie that a few days later, she, you know, was in the hospital and passed away. Uh, the movie's good though. That actor Arthur, I don't know if I remember his name, but he did a really good job. It seemed like it had to be grueling, like he was on stage all the time and had to be, you know, Fat Elvis and you know, Death Elvis and <laughs> all the different ones, which I like Elvis. So, but uh, Capricorn, I'm a Capricorn. He's a Capricorn. Uncle hunk Hunka Burning Capricorn. Are we still in a uh, Capricorn uh, versus Mercury uh, yeah. retrograde?
1: Until the 18th.
0: The 18th.
1: Until the
0: 18th. So, what do you, uh, first off, wham, and then maybe JR can add some to it. What did you, are you feeling anything from it? Like, Yeah, still-
1: I, I mean, I mean no, Mercury retrogrades don't bother me quite as much as they do some people because I kind of know how to deal with them. Um, but, um, th- this one has been interesting for me because it's really been, uh, it's really been about, it's not that there have been a lot of mechanical things or anything, although I have had to be sometimes a little bit,
0: uh, excuse me,
1: a little bit, um, patient with machinery, but it's not like anything is broken down. Um, it's been more like I have to pay a lot of attention to, to actually, my intentions behind some of my communications because if I'm clumsy about that, um, it sort of I sort of it sort of comes back to me. I mean, Capricorn is an important is important in my chart. I've got a lot of it, so and I like I have a lot of Saturn, so uh, I have to really. I, whenever um, Capricorn is in a in a prominent place, whether it's, you know, Pluto's in Capricorn, because that's ha- been true lately until this year, whenever Capricorn is featured, I have to pay attention. So, I mean, that's just how it's been affecting me. It hasn't been, like, wrecking my life or anything.
0: And JR, how does that play into your life? D? Is that something you get into or think about in your work? Or?
2: I'm not incredibly uh immersed in astrology um uh, just because i have friends who are and i kind of go to them for my uh for my scoop uh i am a capricorn so capricorn season is always a uh, you know That's right. prominent for me yep this guy right yeah <laughs> this uh but no this
0: is capricorn too cool
2: <laughs> yep this this restaurant almost almost is almost gonna be sagittarius but yeah, you know, I was born earlier than I was scheduled, so Capricorn it is.
0: But what, what's your birthday?
2: Uh I am born day after Christmas.
0: That's weird. I'm a day after Christmas. No way. <laughs> yes, the twenty sixth
2: nineteen
0: seventy four.
2: And yep. how old you are go. you? I'm
0: I'm forty eight. I'm thirty-five. Young pan. Young pan of a man. <laughs> I always tell the weird story about pan and I'm struggling. Like, oh, please don't. But the weirdest <laughs> story I found about him and is uh, that why the sign was made. And I don't, I think we got into it some in a more deeper level, but the weirdest thing I remember from it is it said pan was caught self pleasuring and I, read, I don't know where I read this, but he got caught by the gods. They threw him into the Nile river and gave him a serpentine tail. And I think we've talked about some like typhonia or something weird with Pan and all that. I don't remember who I talked to about, but we got into it more. But it was just weird. It's like the whole sign's based on Pan getting caught wanking and being, you know, <laughs> cast into the river Nile. <laughs> like, wow. But uh, weirdly enough, and I don't want to get into this too much because I didn't even want to get into this at all. In high school, a situation happened at home where my mother walked in on me. Uh, with guns and roses blaring and i was self-pleasuring i was like 16 or something i went to my brother told my best friend my best friend went to school and i went to school and hundreds of people made fun of me hundreds school teachers like i remember a coach come up to me and going hey jeffrey how you doing and i would go shake his head be like oh no i don't want to touch your hand
1: (laughs) Wow. <laughs> and
0: here's the really the messed up part about it though where it gets a lot more depressing the next year testicular cancer oh lost one chemo so there is i felt there's something about that archetype that i relate to for some reason it's different stories but there's something weird that, I don't know. what. Maybe we're paying really. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, there's something weird with it for sure. But there's one thing I want to mention and then we'll get into your, your book and let me make sure I'm saying this right. Seal, sigil, and call. I'm saying sigil, right? Yes, or, yes. Wow. I'm on a roll tonight. <laughs> a new approach to ritual magic. And, uh, well, I wanted to mention a friend that passed away and the other day, I'm trying to depress everybody apparently. Uh, I saw an article about Jack Nicholson and I love Jack Nicholson. His movies I've seen uh, probably all of them. There may be some, a couple of weird ones I missed from the older days, but I don't know if I have, but anyway, the article is about him being 85 and he's lost his mind. Like he really, he's in his house on Maholand drive or whatever. His kids are his only visitors. He, uh, he doesn't leave his house and his mind's gone, they say. And they, they said this publicly and it was in the big, you know, articles and stuff. And he physically, they say he's okay, but his mind's gone and they think he's going to, you know, do the Marlon Brando, which the reclusive, you know, Crokin situation. It was just sad. And I remember a story a long time ago from somewhere where Jack Nicholson put chains on his refrigerator to keep Marlon Brando out because Marlon Brando lived next door and was always raiding right his refrigerator. <laughs> life. but anyway i saw that i was like that's depressing and then i look on facebook my friend kevin candela passed away and kevin uh was on the show and he he was uh let me look at everything that he was uh i know he was like a engineer like aerospace engineer for maybe nasa or something uh and he, he did all that and uh He, uh, came on the show and talked about his UFO, uh, sighting and stuff, and he wrote some different books, uh, that were kind of weird, like where he mixed the Argonauts with Sinbad, and they're on, uh, on Amazon, but that's Kevin, C-A-N-D-E-L-A, and he always hanged out in the group and stuff, and it was just sad, like, he he seems like this hippie dude that you wouldn't just think would croak out of the blue, but it turned out he was going through, uh esophagus cancer and he didn't want to tell anybody he wanted to be like a success story when it was done and well he croaked during it but but kevin hopefully you're out there in the perimeter stoned immaculate right now and it was just sad that jack nicholson article on that that day was like put me into a weird depression <laughs> i was like two punches boom boom and uh mm-hmm. but anyway i just wanted to do a little memorial for him for a minute because uh, he was on the show and he was talked about something, Shadow Poker, some kind of organization that he was paranormal and shared a UFO story and things like that. But, uh, and there we have it. And uh, Jr. I guess uh, <clears throat> the main reason we do this show is because we've had weird stuff happen to us. After I went through uh, cancer and all that crap, uh, several years later, my dad died. And i started to have a lot of weird experiences where i saw beings of light uh completely sober and also in other states of partying consciousnesses and uh i saw two leave my house and had some ufo kind of stuff happen that was weird and seen some different types of beings i don't know if i was ever abduct it, but they certainly were over my house and you wonder, it's like, did they do it? And, you know, mind wipe me. But the point is that's why we do the show, because weird stuff happened to us and it's odd, I think it's like year 15 now. I'm count. I know it was 13 at some point. Oh, Friday the 13th, can't <laughs> forget that too. But um I guess what I want to ask is what started you on this path of, you know, magic? What's the catalyst?
2: So, it's so funny actually because i have a lot of friends who can point to very specific you know catalyzing influences in their lives and say well it's because this happened it freaked me out and i wondered what else is out there i gotta go looking but for me it's just kind of always been this like a music that suffuses my life uh ever for as long as i can remember there's been something there uh that's drawn me to explore to push the boundaries to question reality uh and how concrete it is um uh, and how explicable it is so ever since i was small i've always kind of been testing those boundaries seeking after what else might be out there so i don't really have a uh this is the day it started kind of thing it's just kind of always been an undertone uh and in, into an overtone at this point uh of my life so i i firmly believe it's something i've taken from previous incarnations or previous states of consciousness uh, into this one.
0: What is an Eidolon? That's and not right.
2: I go with Eidolon, but different people pronounce it differently, and I didn't invent the word. So I, so as, however you wish. <laughs> uh, but to me, an Eidolon uh, is a either a conscious thought form that's part of the self Uh, that is able to be summoned up through ritual or that is in one paradigm if you look at magic as an internal work. If you look at magic as an external work in which you are interfacing with various uh, powers and consciousnesses of existence then it is a manifestation of that. uh, A spirit being a guide or helper uh, that you can contact. And I've had conversations with other ritualists and occultists and the Eidolon state the Eidolon being that I speak about is almost interchangeable with those and other systems because it is just a way to label something and that's something I very much stress is that we each experience existing differently and we each experience the world differently and I can call it an Eidolon someone else can call it something else but we are still interfacing with the same kind of omnipresent consciousness
0: and, uh, do they, what do they look like visually? Have you seen them visually or is a thought form? Is it like a being like a,
2: yes. So once again, this is, this is, you know, you're going to get a lot of this from me. There's a lot of sub- subjectivity in magic and in any inner work. Um, to me, it is a visualized being. So for instance, if I am doing a ritual with, uh, you know, let's say the eighth Eidolon, um, uh, you know, I will experience the presence of that eidolon. Um, depending on where I am and how focused in ritual I am, it might be a glimpse. It might be a, a vision in my mind's eye, or it might be something that I see. Uh, and to me, the eighth eidolon usually appears as a glowing you know, being of light who is enrobed in a tapestry that looks like the night sky. Usually holding one of its kind of symbols of office. Uh,
0: Glowing being of light, that's always fascinating when that comes up, especially when you've seen them, like, leave your house on different levels. <laughs> and what about the, the, the sigils, the, the, the symbols? Is that from something in particular, or do you make your own? The-
2: uh I would say I received them, would would kind of be how I do it. They were transmitted to me uh, by the Eidolons themselves. So the process of working with an Eidolon uh, in the book, the first several chapters are to, it goes on the assumption that, you know, you can pick this book up having done no magic and work effective magic. Uh, So the first few chapters are very uh, focused on putting yourself in the mindset to be uh, self-sovereign, to be conscious, uh, to be present moment aware and uh, protected and centered. Uh, And from there, it goes into the actual work with the Eidolons. So to look at the different, essentially, seals, sigils, and calls, hence the the name of the book, uh, a seal, when you meditate on or otherwise attempt to illuminate or discover an Eidolon, the seal is usually the first thing that comes to you. Uh, A way to make contact in a more formalized ritual way. Whereas... A sigil and call, a call being a phrase that you mutually agree upon with the Eidolon that touches upon the archetypal nature of them, and a sigil being a small symbol, uh, either drawn upon paper or I make mine out of clay, things like that, that when you utter that call and hold that sigil, you can go into contact with them in a more immediate and instantaneous way than in a formal large ritual.
0: And I see there's celestials who occupy a higher vibrational band of existence. Uh, and then you talk about ascendant magicians and ascendant spiritual seekers. And then also it's interesting when I, you know, when I think of celestials and the light, it makes me think of what I've seen. And I don't know if they're the same things. I think there are a lot of glowy things out there, but <laughs> they're definitely glow like the sun. I think there's a connection with the sun in them that light somehow, that divine manifestation. But here's an interesting one that's very fascinating. Uh, Primals are the ones who occupy a lower vibrational band of existence than the one in which we live, which I'm quoting from your book. Uh, And then it talks about them being of a deeper unconscious and pre-existential chaos so that that's kind of fascinating. Do you use the Necronomicon? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you read Sutter Kane? No. But uh, that's it's just fascinating. So what 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 can you tell us about Celestials and then the Primals? Which Primals is just creepy to talk about. They'll know it if you just talk about them.
2: So I, I classify into three different bands: so Celestials, Primals, and something called uh, Otherworld Spirits, which are essentially uh, occupy a similar or equivalent vibrational band to our own, but perhaps not in this dimension or plane or level of consciousness, however you want to, you know, whatever language works best for you. But to me, uh, when I look at these, I look at them very much like a frequency, um, almost musical in, in nature rather than value driven. So when we say a higher vibrational frequency, we're not necessarily meaning a better one. Uh, and when we say a lower vibrational frequency, we're not necessarily saying a lesser one. We're just saying that they are different experiences of being and of consciousness. And celestials do tend to be completely highly aligned with universal good, um, with the idea of you know the many over the one the unity of all things, uh, compassion, uh, acting justly, uh, acting equitably, and they are inspirational, aspirational as well. They represent those parts of us that are striving for you know a, a greater kindness. And primals uh, are not necessarily bad creatures because I do be, people do kind of have that kind of idea of like a lower vibrational creature being somehow. Corrosive, or something like that, but they are uh, muddy. I guess is a way to put it. Uh, like they're difficult to communicate with compared to celestials. Especially, they are singular creatures, singular beings that are very concerned with whatever it is they do, uh, and they operate as that protocol. So, for instance, the the third eidolon uh, is a primal, uh, and the third eidolon. Is concerned with mostly uh, insects and small creatures and things like that and shepherding them and uh, communicating with them and whereas a celestial could theoretically assist you in almost anything uh, a primal is very singularly minded so I would go if I were to be working with the third Eidolon I'd be like, well, I want to get these bees to leave my property, <laughs> or I wish to understand, you know, the, the industrious represented by ants or something like that. But if I were to say, can you, can you help me master a musical instrument? It would be like, this does not, this does not com- compute. I cannot do this because it's not mm. part of my very mm. specific vibrational band.
0: Are they there just to bring forth madness and bring forth Cthulhu from the ocean? Is that? Have you seen them? what What do they look like? I mean, some weird reptilian. So oh.
2: the primals, well, all all eidolons. I, I stress stress this. appear to the magician in the way that they believe will best translate their nature to the magician, uh, and they are not bound by our concepts of a physicality or. Uh, incarnation. They can be whatever they wish because they are beings of energy and beings of concept. Uh, But for instance, the third uh, Eidolon often appears as kind of a a thin, uh, you know, humanoid form uh, very often with a a veiled face, wings uh, that are as many layered insect wings, uh, and its left arm is often the uh a mantis-like
0: arm weird we've talked about mantis aliens recently on the show someone had a, he woke up when he was a kid and saw craze and a mantis standing there which just kind of weird for sure and uh i saw uh metatron in here i've heard of metatron from some different things uh, who is that exactly metatron and you use archangels in a lot of your work
2: uh, so, in for Metatron, we're likely, you saw that we're doing the lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentacle and the, the Middle Pillar. Uh, and in the LBRP, uh, I I don't particularly work specifically by name with, with Archangels, because I mostly work with the Eidolons, uh, both the ones in this book and the many others that I have illuminated over the years. Uh, but to honor the tradition of the lesser banishing ritual of the pentacle, where we set our space, we set our intention, and we we're calling on uh, the quarters and we're calling on the archangels, uh, I do incorporate uh, Metatron and sandalphon in addition to Raphael and Michael and Gabriel and Yuri. I've called on Archangel
0: Michael a lot of the, like clear houses and things like that. And definitely. A lot of the stuff I've seen about that is like white worker stuff, some of that's good, but some of it's a little too much. But but it definitely is interesting. And the the Kobala is that I always find those names I've had, I know I have some books on the, how do you say it? the Kobala Kobala
1: depending, depending on depending on what tradition you're hooking yourself up mm-hmm. to, Qubala, and I
0: know it. <laughs> I'm going to say the names of the different ones and I'm sure I'll, I'll say them wrong. And then maybe you, you, you guys could say them so we say them right. But maybe I'll get them right. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Kether, Dath, Tipperoth, Yesad, Malkuth.
1: I know that's I have good. a book and I've said you're, you're, those yeah, you're pretty close. <laughs> that's pretty cool, good.
0: Cool, cool. That's good. I've said them before. <laughs> I know there's something to them because you can feel it, sort of. <laughs> Is it the tree of life? Yeah. Well, yeah, what is that like? The names of the branches, or something? Are <laughs> the points the power points in the tree of life?
2: The names of the Sephiroth and the middle pillar
0: are those. And the Sephiroth is that? That's the angels that are. Sephiroth. Those are considered angels. Is that the name? That's the five. So that's the five names of the different angels.
2: No, that's the Sephiroth are uh, the different loci, the nexuses, the points of consciousness, points of, you know, concentrated being on the tree of life. But, uh, you know, I also don't want to get too into it because I am not a Kabbalist. (laughs) I am uh, storing, uh, you know, and utilizing that information for myself, but also uh, I communicated as it was communicated, as I cite in the book, uh, the version of the middle pillar I have there was from Israel Regarde.
0: Has mm-hmm. brought to us through, through the golden. So dawn. So the tree of life has chakras, dude. Well, those
1: they've been, they've been, they've been uh, those are systems that have been sort of melded together. Um, it, it, it would I would call you know I mean what the the golden dawn did was a kind of. Uh, uh, was a kind of syncretic bricolage you know what i mean they, they, yes they uh they they took they, t- they they took western hermetic kabbalah such as they understood it or interpreted it since mm-hmm. there's more than one way to do that and then they also you know they were kind of doing a theosophical thing and mm-hmm. they they took some they, they they took some some basic yoga ideas and put them together. Um, They were seeing where they overlapped is Mm -hmm. what they were doing. Um, You know, I mean, if you're a purist, you're not going to, of either system, you're not going to like that. (laughs) But, you know, it's like, so, you know, I mean, Americans mostly do bricolage. So, (laughs) you know, that's, that's sort of what we do. I mean, I noticed in your, at least in the bibliography that was included in your PDF, that you um that one of the books you've used is from damien Eccles, who i happen to like quite a bit myself Mm -hmm. and have read some of his stuff um actually went to a a workshop he gave once when he was doing some stuff up here and um uh you know he's very much because because he was in prison and he couldn't do the ritual stuff externally or a lot of external practices. Um, he had to learn how to do this stuff internally. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what I liked about what you were doing, I mean, even though you talk about ritual, um, and certainly much of what you do can be which most of what, much of what you talk about can be done externally. Like if you're, if a person's going to be like a, a full blown ceremonial magician type of thing, um, is that you can actually do most of what you're you were you're talking about in the book internally? Because because one of the things that I learned to do very very early because I was first you know when I was tra- training in occult stuff and you know, all this stuff way back when I, I was I was being trained in in the visualization traditions of Vajrayana Buddhism which are fairly mm-hmm. extensive. And, you know, the whole practice of, you know, imagining the inner and outer mandala and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so when I started, when I was introduced to ceremonial magic, I, I was a member of a lodge for a while. And we did do external stuff, but I realized that I, what I got into was more of the internal visualization stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was much more important to me personally. Uh, so, um, I, and what I like about what you're talking about, your approach, is that it pulls on the traditional stuff in, in, the, in the correct areas so that if a person is familiar with a little bit of Crowley or a little bit of Golden Dawn, they'll be able to go, oh, yeah, here's where this stuff is, right? But then they'll be able to look what you've done with it and, and, uh, and, and sort of apply it in their own way. And I, and to me, that's really what the, the power of any magical system is. Because eventually, you're going to have to do your own thing anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to do it anyway.
2: I, I really appreciate that. That was very much the goal. In the first, I'd say, third of the book, essentially, my goal was to get people to a aware, grounded, protected, energetically charged state. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are already so many traditions that do that, uh, that people could be familiar with. So my goal was to provide people with many different avenues for doing that. As well as some of my own avenues that are completely, uh, you know, system and tradition agnostic. So people who are not comfortable, you know, in that engaging in any tradition, could just say, well, this meditation has been you know, just a completely original meditation I can use to uh, reach a state of you know centered awareness. Uh, because very much my goal for the book was to let people and encourage people to just get off the rails the completely. To say here is a framework. Uh, you know almost to use programming language here this is a framework that i'm giving you and i encourage you to build whatever fulfills you on this framework whatever makes you feel like you know your soul is singing and you are doing the magic that awakens you and helps you and inspires you um uh, mm-hmm. so there is definitely you know as you said a lot of pre-existing traditions people are definitely familiar with to a degree um you know that have I sort of penetrated the American esoteric consciousness, so to speak, right and right. I wanted to offer those, but also say, but also if you want to not do any of these things, that's completely fine. Do what works for you. here's some things that have worked for me in the past,
1: right, right, well, and the thing that I thought was interesting as I was going through my own process in my life was you know once you know once I started moving from the Va- the Vajrayana. Sort of framework, you know. I I, di- I did a deep dive into um, mystical Judaism for a long time. I mean, serious deep dive, not just the, you know, not just the weird dabbling that Madonna does, you know, or <laughs> did. Did you don't right? get all the copies I mean, of the Zohar? And, and maybe she's more serious about it than I think. But you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I you know, like I learned Hebrew and I. I actually converted to Judaism in order to to actually go deep into this, and uh, um, what I found was that in in esoteric Jewish Orthodox tradition, uh, they do something very similar with the temple. You know, a lot of those those Kabbalistic meditations that the that the Golden Dawn ended up inheriting and doing things with, uh, are actually based on internal meditations that are done during prayer. Um, by Orthodox Jewish communities. Um, and, 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 and it's in a lot of what they were doing was very similar in, at least in approach. It was the creation of, of a temple, you know, the, the, so in Vajrayana Buddhism, you're creating a, you know, the mandalas and, and, in, and in Judaism, you're creating the temple, but it's the temple of your body. It's not just the temple of, you know, of, of uh, that's around you physically. And so I realized, Oh, you know, a lot of these people are doing kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Their their details are different, but they're trying to bridge that gap between what you think your body is and all that stuff. And all these other realms out here, there are realms in here and realms out there. And so that, that began a process where, whereby I realized that, um, you know, if if I'm going to take Buddhism seriously, you know, there is no inside or outside. So if I'm doing the work inside, the work is happening outside too. Yep.
2: Yeah, that, that's that's one that's very cool. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I
1: mean, it was like, hello. It's like, duh.
2: The other, but yeah, so for me, I've always, since I was a kid, uh, sometimes to the dismay of my teachers, uh, kind of felt like we live in a bit of a puppet show. The material world is kind of a, a allegorical place for us to hash some things out. Uh, and it's certainly not the be all and end all of things. So a lot of my friends who had gotten into um, you know, kind of traditionalist ceremonial magic had this idea of using magic to achieve whatever earthly goal they might have, which uh, I address in my book, and you know, I say that, you know, sometimes a magician needs to pay the rent. So, you know, do as long as you're not hurting anyone, do do whatever you'd like, you know, do it right, will. exactly. exactly. But i have always seen uh magic as an avenue towards uh transcendence in a way because it's the only thing i can take with me you know Mm -hmm. when i when i shed this body and this form is is no more uh, i will not have you know any cool stuff i've hoarded in my house but i will have any wisdom i may have gained and any strengthening of will and any deepening of compassion Uh, and that is why a lot of my work tends towards the internal but also as a former high school theater kid, I also understand the uh, value of pageantry and the value of symbolism and the value of allegory. So that's why I always offer in my exercises, hey, if you want to use, you know, incense, if you want to use crystals, if you want to get a sensor, if you want to go out there and get a solid gold six foot rod, you know, <laughs> more power to you. For but, <laughs> yeah, but you don't need to. Uh, And that's also an accessibility issue for me, both in accessibility in terms of, you know, physical ability and accessibility in terms of financial accessibility. Uh, Money. Yeah. I don't want to tell people, oh, hey, go get this $600, you know, extract that you can only get from this tiny little supplier in the Himalayas. I want to say, hey, if you want to use olive oil or nothing, what matters is that it exists in your mind, because all we are seeing is simply a reflection of some sort of matter that then beams its way through our eyeballs and translates to our mind. So we can cut out the middle, man, and just think about it.
1: That's, yep, that's about right. That's about right. You know, it's sort of like, it's, I, I, when I was reading, it, I was like, wow, a I, I, I no I BS magical companion here.
0: <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> no BS. That'd be a good uh, blurb,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, no BS here. No BS here. I, I
2: got I to gotta put that on the Instagram.
1: <laughs> yeah, really. That's a no BS so
2: magical companion dash wham in quotes. There you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You may, you may quote me. <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I, the other thing I really appreciated, and I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you realize this in yourself, because, th- because this is sort of the way I work too. Um, is that, you know, one of the things that always drove me crazy about ceremonial magic when I was in the lodge was that there were people that were in our group, and this was just what their gift was. Um, they had the ability to actually see stuff, like externally, like see stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are some people, like Jeffrey, who see i mean he sees beings of light he sees that kind of stuff i'm not much of that in this world you know i mean i've seen a few things i've had a few experiences but um i'm not really a person who sees stuff like that i may see with my see things with internally with my inner eye if you will but not externally but i am a person who hears things and Mm -hmm. and um and music and tone and sound have always been really, really important for my ability to connect with other other realms, um, and, uh, and and to, and to, and and in a sense sense the truth of something, sense the truth of a communication that I'm having with something or whatever. So, what what is it? Do do you is this something that you've always kind of done? You know, because you talk about the sound of of these of these, these consciousnesses. So tell me about that.
2: So, yeah, I use uh, the technique in my book called tonal resonance uh, a lot, uh, which is very sound-based. And for me, uh, music has always been a big part of my life. Uh, My mother uh, was and is a musician uh, and was always singing and playing music around the house. Uh, And I have always kind of communicated in, in that way. Uh, And I will Assign a tonal value. I will hear a tonal value, you know, a chime, uh, a glissando, whatever it might be, uh, in my work. And I've also always had a very scientific mind, actually. Uh, in my in my day job, I, I am a computer scientist, actually, and I've always had a very uh, a very kind of empirical mindset towards things. Uh, one of the things was because when I was younger, honestly, until I met a few people who kind of heard and did and engaged in the same things I did, I was kind of like, how do I prove to myself that I'm not just a little nuts uh, right. You know, in a, in a harmless way? I know, but like, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just hearing stuff. Uh, and uh, I did it through experimentation, through, uh, you know, applying stimuli and noting if it was a repeatable response I got from that stimuli. And Tone was one of the big ones for me. Uh, using, you know, tuning forks, uh, a kalimba, uh, a flute, something that's, you know, portable, easily makes noise, On uh, seeing how the energy around me react to that. Because that is actually, while I'm like you in, in some ways, insofar as the majority of my sight is most often, especially when I'm out and about and not in a very conscious ritual state, uh, I'm seeing in my mind's eye. It's very strong visions I get in my mind's eye, but that's still where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I do see with my with my eye eyes uh, a uh, or perhaps some other organ I cannot identify perhaps my third eye uh, I do see patterns of energy around me uh, and tone is one of the things that affects those patterns and repeatedly and consistently affects those patterns um, you know and that's something that for a lot of my life I experimented with because I've been to many uh, optometrists uh, you know because I was like is this is this a physical thing uh, you know or is it a neurological thing and no, uh, according to my doctors, I am fine. <laughs> but but it is still a thing that I see and a thing that has repeatable tonal, uh, you know, response.
1: I guess what I would say is that I I mean the only way I can relate to kind of what you're saying is that I do have synesthesia with sound, so that like certain tones or sounds um, create patterns that and. and And when I was young, I would see these patterns like hanging in the air, you know, like a bell or something like that. As I got older, I guess I learned to kind of shut that off a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to now be in sort of an altered state to see it as clearly Mm -hmm. as I used to. But like if I hear music, like I hear a song, I can almost always tell you what key it's in because there'll be a color in my mind. Wow you know it'll present itself as a color and and so like each of the keys has there's like each each note in our in our scale has a t- has a particular color and then like ev- all the like everything in c are various shades of that color and everything in a or various shades of that color. And that's true. Whether the minor or whatever, it's very, it's odd, but I've always, I used to think everybody was like that.
2: <laughs> that's that's and, very cool though. <laughs> and,
1: I, and, and I realized, I realized what I, Oh my God, you know, like hardly anybody's like <laughs> this because it, people would be like, so, you know, do you like the song? And I'd be like, yeah, that song is really red. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're like what what are you talking about you know but um so i do see and like um for example there have always been these tones in like if i sit really quietly and i and i you know just go internally there are these tones that i hear that are always present in my inside my head like Mm. inside my brain
2: well you are you uh I'm sure you are. You're familiar with the concept of not
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always felt like there's probably some background tone to everything that we, you know, maybe have drowned out at this point.
1: Right. Right. Well, and I know what my tone is. I've got a couple of tones, you know, I've got a low tone and a high tone oh, Very cool. and I know what they are. And, um, and if I'm like afraid or something, I can just like, something startles me. I can just kind of go back to that tone. And it just goes away. Mm. So, um, you know, I mean, I, so I, I, I was very intrigued by your, your use of sound. You know, that sound is part of how you connect with these different eidolons. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I, th- I, I thought that was very cool because I think that that isn't something that is talked about a lot in ceremonial magic. I mean, at least I haven't encountered it frequently. So.
2: To me, tonality is is also emotionality. Right. So like when I, when I'm doing the, the tonal resonance exercise, you know, the, I don't see tone, although that would be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but when I, you know, make a tone, like let's say I'm playing, you know, a flute and I sound a note, I will get a emotional response from that, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a, a, and new tonal resonance is usually used to concept to contact the concept of vestiges, um, uh, which in, in my system are kind of uh, proto thought forms, uh, you know, small n- oftentimes fragmented consciousnesses that you can't really talk to in the way you wouldn't idle on, which is kind of a realized concept and a realized being. Uh, so it's kind of a, a yes, no uh, directional, emotional kind of uh, contact. And I really do feel that music and just raw tone, not even necessarily music, just raw sound, uh, lends itself very well to that.
1: So you have, you um, introduce us to eighteen idolons in this yes. book. I'm I'm assuming you there are more than that.
2: Uh, I I would generally say that there are nigh infinite idolons, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the whole journey of, of the system which which I call pan-idolism because generally we should name things <laughs> and uh, <laughs> our editors make us right <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh, there's 18 but the whole point is you know the first third like I said gets you prepared to work with Eidolons period the second introduces you to ways to work with Eidolons and particular Eidolons you can work with uh, that have already I've already spoken to. I, I know these beings. Uh, if you call them, if you consider them beings, or if you consider them archetypes of yourself. Once again, I'm not only accepting of, but very much encouraging of people interpreting things in the way that resonates with them. Uh, but once you've done that and said, well, okay, I've I've engaged with, you know, I'd say at least three, hopefully all 18, if you have the the time and the uh, the inclination it's then the next part is to learn to illuminate your own eidolons and learn to start really tailoring your practice to be like uh not indistinguishable from but but very diverse uh in terms of the manifestations of the practice like i would love to have you know multiple people who pick up this book and decide they want to try this to have things that you could recognize come from this system, but are otherwise in their manifestations, completely unique and beautiful to say, well, I I work with these types of Eidolons and I, you know, these are the types of rituals I do. These are the symbolism I use. This is the lexicon I use. This is what I call myself. And it's completely different from someone else who does, but we could probably still write down the seal of an Eidolon to share with each
0: other if we wanted to.
1: Yeah, that would be very cool because in, this, in that sense, you're sort of, uh, everybody is sort of or everybody would be making their own connections. And yet at the very same time um, you would, they would, everybody that is would be doing this would be finding ways in which they could find where their expression of this or that Eidolon shared certain characteristics were it overlapped. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit different for everybody, obviously, you know, um, I, now, I, ha, I I will confess, I did not read through all of your Eidolons, okay? I didn't have time this week to do that. Well, That's mid-line. all right. <laughs> I mean, but I can go back and do that, obviously. But so so if I'm asking you something that is obvious and, and I should have read, you can call me stupid, but. Um, <laughs> I never would. <laughs> but but um, have you encountered an Eidolon that is connected in any way? to um fungi specifically
2: okay yeah that is a very interesting question there is a eidolon which is actually really interesting because this is the uh 13th eidolon and a few other people i have spoken to about this who have decided to essentially read the book and then randomly pick on an eidolon you know in a random number generator kind of way to work with first have landed on the 13th Eidolon. That's Uh, interesting. The 13th Eidolon uh, is a Eidolon that represents the idea of, um, you know, the cycles of decay and rebirth uh, and is very, very strongly aligned to the energies of swamps uh, and moss and lichen and, and fungi. Yes.
1: Oh, that's interesting because I, the reason I say, I say is that I, I know a woman who, wrote an entire book called The Maze Game, um, in which, and she has, she has a long tradition, a long tradition, and, and there's a whole story here, which we will not go into, but, there's, but has, she has a long tradition of, and this is an actual thing, of being paid by um, laboratories in the United States that have government contracts to be a test subject for different kinds of drugs, particularly Mm -hmm. hallucinogens. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't know that this type of research continues, but it's very clandestine. Um, But she has had, it was, this was many years ago. She, they were testing her with, uh, with extracts from various, Hallucinogenic mushrooms, hmm.
2: you
1: know, psilocybin, peyote, whatever. And she had this extraordinary experience, apparently, at one point. It changed her life where she encountered the, this is how she described it. She encountered the, as she put it, the oversoul or the over lighting, hmm. um, you know, consciousness that oversees fungi
2: Mm -mm.
1: and um and it and she had in this and she had an exchange with it and and i know this sounds crazy to people but she it in the in the process for exchange with it she actually it actually helped her produce an alphabet a very distinctive sigil alphabet um and way of a written communication that um i can't even describe it. It, it 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 expresses it expresses certain it expresses ideas on like several different levels like certain certain meta i almost think you kind of need an algorithm to describe it and <clears throat> but anyway she ended up writing a book about and it's a fiction book about a civilization that was uh, that came out of the expression of this language and it was it's a reconfiguring of what our world would be if this consciousness decided to take control of this of our of our existence for one reason or another and how how this language would be used to redefine what certain types of consciousness were and it's it, you know i i th- you know, my when I when she told me about it, I mean, most people don't even know what this book is, you know, because it's really hard to read. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really hard to read because it forces you to think in really, really different ways. Um, and but but the the you know, the concept behind it is what how would our reality change if a completely different type of consciousness. Began to began to actually reorganize organic life. Here.
2: Okay. So there is a lot to unpack in that, and I love. I know, I, love it. I know. No, no, I love it <laughs> because we're touching on you know sigil alphabets, which I have in in my book actually. I
0: tell people. I know. To, to
1: I diapers. saw the but it was like, <laughs> oh my god, this looks like what. This looks at like what Donna did, and <laughs> what, I also. What's the remember.
0: book too? Tell us the book when you. Well, up.
1: the book is called "The Maze Game." The Maze Game, and it's by, um, it, uh, her. Her name is oh, it's a D, D, Donna Slattery, or something. I don't even know that it's on Amazon. You know, it's it's like I have one of the few copies that exist, probably.
0: It's there. I'll keep.
2: I'll keep an eye out for it.
0: Is it there? Yeah, it is. <laughs> the Maze Game diana reed uh it's a science fiction novel, yes called mortal death dancers and uh it's on there it's only like four dollars and 54 cents so
2: <laughs> well now i'm gonna go get it
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And- well before jr says something i just wanted to say real quick when i did dmt i saw weird writing on the wall and it was really weird and i was like walking up to it touching it it's like you know I don't know what it was because you know, when you're going through that, you, it's just, I couldn't believe it. Uh, and I haven't done that in a while. I wish I could. Diana Reed
1: it. Slattery. Yeah.
0: And, uh, I saw weird sigils on the wall and I don't remember what they were, but I know they were there. And I actually, while I was going through it, walked up to it and touched it. And it was like, it's on the wall. But of course, when it was over, it was not on the wall. So, uh, Oh, the other thing I want to say real quick—the Last of Us, which is a pretty good uh, game that won a lot of awards. Uh, the show starts on HBO th- this weekend. They're saying it's amazing, but what it's about is like fungi zombies, and the plant life takes over. And it's like the zombies, but the, they're like weird spores and crazy. It's really <laughs> the game is amazing, so they're saying the show's really good. But that's a weird thing about that kind of stuff taking over. But go ahead, Jr.
2: Well, on on that note, every time I think about. You know sapient plant life i think of swamp thing and we can get into a whole other conversation about right. alan moore and his uh his history of esotericism but I uh those. Yeah. Yeah, the,
1: the, the name the name of the language is glide glide hmm. that is actually the name of the language and That's and all you have to do is just sort of read the it says the maze game is a science fiction novel that tells the story of a cult of mortal death dancers who for 2,000 years have kept the immortal lifers riveted with the brutal, bi- bu- brutal beauty of combat in a maze made of the visual language glide. The dancer is pitted against an immortal player, and though the player may win many times, the maze game always eventually ends in the spectacle of the dance of death. Now the survival of the game itself is threatened. Dance master Walenda and the four young dancers of the Millennium class battle joreen the drug lord plotting to regain control of the game there's like political stuff in here about drugs you know people misusing drugs for their own purposes Walenda well, is forced by joreen to reveal the dark secrets of the maze game's origin at the risk of destroying his students commitments to the dance but the greatest force undermining the game is love um and and but it's a certain type of love you know it's not romantic love or sentimental agape,
2: all, all, all yeah 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 love. exactly
1: yeah i mean like absolute agape is terrifying to the ego so <laughs> you
2: yeah. know but no i think mycelium is actually a really excellent metaphor for uh you know or even just direct cognates i always talk about uh you know the interconnected network of being that all things are you know in, in direct communication and direct vibration with each other uh and you know mycelium is kind of the uh the perfect you know Example of that, you know, a complete, you know, to the person walking on the surface, we're going to use that as a metaphor for the surface reality. uh, What is underneath is, you know, not even considered or thought about when we look at a mushroom. Most people aren't going to say, oh, hey, there's miles of mycelium underneath the the ground. We're not not going
1: to do what I do, which is like, oh, look, a fruiting body. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, sex organs right here. (laughs) That's what I do, literally. (laughs) oh look at these sex organs look at all the (laughs) look at the spores you know (laughs) but yeah it's like my i i guess i've been fascinated with fungi because they they seem to represent a kind of or they are they just don't represent they are a kind of life on the planet that is that is different from plant and animal life Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and is really um you know, along with bacteria, pretty much run everything.
2: Yeah, they're completely essential to life on Earth.
1: Yeah, pretty much run everything. How about that, Jeffrey? <laughs>
0: definitely, definitely fascinating, for sure. <laughs> trip you out, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, trip you out.
0: And uh, so what's up with these freighters? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> freighter Barabbas. I had a freighter oh, I, on my show. I,
1: I personally know or knew freighter Bar- Bar- Barabbas when. Okay, in fact, the <laughs> lodge that I was speaking to of, it was his. <laughs> wow. So he knows who I am. So.
0: And uh, I've I have his there, real name is
1: Brian. <laughs>
2: That's that sounds like an observational comedy routine to me you get up on the stage. So uh what's with all these uh freighters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: no. When like, he
1: said that, you know what I thought, I'm thought of like, is this a potato product? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> what these potatoes,
0: about? these freighters. <laughs> I uh I've had I've met the dark freighter Tenebris. Have you ever heard of him? He's right of a of little him. He yeah. was on the show. It was a good interview, but I don't like Geraldo Rivera, but I felt like Geraldo Rivera interviewing, like he's not really a Satanist, but he got into like weird devil packs and weird like Lucifer stuff. And it was just like, I felt like Geraldo freaking out from like a Christian <laughs> perspective or something during the whole thing, but it was good. <laughs> but uh, one thing I saw in your book and I, I don't know if I'm, it should be okay to read this little invocation thing. Does it sound too dangerous? <laughs> I call you to witness, infallible geometers of the Most High. You benefic- b- beneficent <laughs> spirits, whom the children of mortality have named angels, divas, Amisha Spinters, but Amisha
1: Devas, Devas,
0: Devas. Trying to do Christopher Walken here, Christopher Walken, Amisha Spenters. Motivistas, ascendant magicians and numberless epithets, lost to the ages, beings of powerful joy who faces are faucets in the jewels of myriad faiths. Attend me, anoint me with the chrisms of compassion and lend me your radiant power. I draw forth this power to banish evil. I draw forth this power to amplify compassion. I draw forth this power to heal the unseen wounds of this world. I charge this power with a thirsting justice and unrelenting kindness in my inexperable will. That's deep. That's like some Gandalf kind (laughs) of stuff. Have you ever been in a wizard war? (laughs) I've had a freighter on that's been in a wizard war. Remember that one? I have to find his name. There's another. I am
2: a proponent of peace.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What was that ice? Remember that something about ice wizard swam and the guy? Oh, that was Stephen Flower. No, no, wait. That no, it
1: was Stephen Flower. He oh no, no, no. It was Stephen Flower's friend.
0: It was another Um, crater.
1: Yeah, it was another.
0: Well, Tenebris. Wait, wait, no, that's not not He was talking about ice magic. Ralph Tegemeyer.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was talking about ice magic. right.
0: Right, right, right. You're right. Yeah, that's who. I, I, does he do little one books? I know he's been around for sure, but he got into all that like weird wizard war with some wizards. It <laughs> was, that was definitely, definitely, I don't remember the details, but the show's on the site. But <laughs> I'm all
2: about wizard friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: about wizard friendship. Ever, that's where I'm at. <laughs> have you ever thought about becoming freighterized? You
1: know
2: <laughs> no, you can not do want to, you can just
1: name yourself that. It's actually
2: really funny because like I know a lot of people who, who go by you know the the fraud or freighter title, but um I I actually feel some days like I missed my boat because I just use my initials. Uh, and there are people out there with all these like cool names like you know, Phoenix and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow, no, that's just it's just JR. But there we <laughs> go. That's junior,
0: a <laughs> <laughs> He's not a junior. <laughs> <laughs> junior Mascaro from Georgia. <laughs> now I'm thinking about uh what's the guy? Ernest P. Worrell saves Christmas. We and Christina Watch that for Christmas It's fine. Just
2: yeah. One of the things I love about that. the whole uh you know magical or occult or esoteric, however you wanna however you wanna couch it, community is how diverse you know, we are in our, in our approaches of things. So, I mean, I can talk to someone, you know, who, a friend of mine who is, you know, I completely respect everything they do. And we will look, we'll have like literally nothing in common with how we approach it. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, that's
1: fine. You know, I mean, I remember when I was in graduate school, I had this experience where it was just, we were taking this course in, what we taking this course in. It was in, it was like in, um. It was the history of Jewish Jewish philosophy or something or ethics. I can't even re- really remember. But anyway, it was like I was taking it. It was one of those seminar classes that you could take as an undergraduate or a graduate student. But if you were a graduate student, you had to do more work, obviously. So there were like two of us, two graduate students and all these undergraduates, which was fine. But we had to write this like each one of us, the graduate students, had to write like this huge 35 Page paper and then at the end of the class give the paper right so um me and john allen he was the other graduate student now john allen was one of these like really linear guys you know what i mean he he would like start his paper you know like months ahead and he'd have his and he would just laboriously do it i really liked him he's a good writer he's he's actually that he is actually now the um the, the Vatican correspondent for CNN and a whole bunch of other news outlets. So he's, he's actually very, very good at what he does, but he's, but he's very, he's very linear. And, and he and I knew he was working on his paper. I was one of these people that I would collect all my stuff and then like three days before the paper was to do, I thought you know, I did like a 35 hour marathon and throw the whole thing together. That's how I always did my papers, you know. I always I'm right did, there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, my papers were like, they were great, but they were like uh, Usually pretty good, but they were like you know sweat and and you know, the result of adrenaline and too much and
2: coffee.
1: coffee. Yeah. yeah, exactly, too much coffee. Um, so anyway, we we did our papers and 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 I can't remember what my oh my paper was on something to do with the because we got assigned our topics something to do with um, with the progression of how women. Are portrayed in the Book of Judges. That's how I had to do mine, and in fact, I even got assigned some of the sources that I had to use. So anyway, I ended up doing this really the way that I usually do stuff is I like have I start with something and then I sort of do the spiral unraveling it and then come back. That's sort. So my my, the way I'm organized is kind of um, in a spiral and and you know. Circular. That's kind of how I organize. Whereas John is very like this. You know, everything's an outline. <clears throat> He's a great writer. He really is because he can be very funny. But it's very <laughs> linear. So he did his, and I did mine. We both got A's. All right, because my 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 grad my um, professor liked them both, and he was an amazing person. But I remember looking at John and saying to, saying to him. You know, I really wish I could write a paper like yours. And he looked at me and he was like, "I was just thinking that about yours." (laughs) You know. And so we had basically written the only papers we could write given who we were. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, So to me, it's like, and they were both perfectly fine. Written through the lens of your experience. You know, it's 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 perfectly fine. I learned a very important lesson there, which was number one, I actually do okay work, but number two, I don't have to be like anybody else, yeah. you know,
2: nor should you be, because we only have one of you.
1: <laughs> There's only one of me. And I learned also that even if other people are doing stuff that's similar to what I'm doing, it do, what I'm doing, nobody does it like me. I, I do it my own way. <laughs> so it's, so I just don't worry about it anymore at all you know you just don't so take that to heart jeffrey nobody does it like you and your masks sometimes sometimes he's sometimes he's been insecure about like other podcasts it's like no just just be happy with your podcast bud.
2: i'm gonna mr rogers it you are you there is only one you and you are special
1: and you are special that's why you see little white little white cocoon people
0: Mr. Rogers liked to fart on his wife. Yeah, there's Nothing I mean, wrong with that if it I was consensual.
1: No, no. <laughs> at least he didn't get drunk and beat her up, you know, just yeah. farting on her.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was James. James Joyce was also into that. He published a whole bunch of his love letters. Well, his estate did, and there are... James Joyce, he was into some stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i don't know, I don't know, know what that me. is though i don't know if i'm gonna know spectacular the first spell <laughs> i ever did i want to maybe talk about some of the ones that you've done that are okay to talk about <laughs> but uh there was a nazi weird bully in school that had hitler in his locker and he kept calling me fat and trying to attack me every day. I had no idea why I'd never said anything to him. I'd known him since like kindergarten or something. This was like, I don't know, ninth grade or something. <laughs> anyway, he kept picking on me. He goes, I'm going to pick on you and jump you every day unless you meet me at wild Turkey circle. And I was like, what's that? And I was quite, you know, very quiet reclusive book in the hallway, you know, black, whatever. And like an idiot, I went there to fight him, and I wasn't someone that got in fights. But uh, we beat each other up. He <laughs> bit part of not—it's not visible now—but he actually bit a part of my teeth off, my nipple, like a little piece from th- biting through the shirt. He's beating rocks on his head, going crazy. And the police came, There's hundreds of people there, and I left in my Batmobile car, I called the Batmobile, it was like a 16 or whatever, or 17, I don't remember. But I remember doing a spell, and it was from that Raymond uh, Buckland, was it? the, yeah, Brook, yeah, the, yeah, the, witchcraft ra- the
1: natural witchcraft And foot. it was and peeing in a foot. jar,
0: right. and doing nails and razors, and you pee in a jar, and you bury it in your yard. And I think, I don't even know if I've ever done a spell since then, maybe like some creative visualization or something, but that was like the se- first serious thing I ever did. And next thing you know, that guy fell through a plate glass window. His car yes. got no crazy wreck. He went to jail. He knocked the girl up. And later my dad's passed, but somehow I heard that my dad, uh, took the lug notes off his car. My dad was crazy. I don't know if that's true, but luckily the guy didn't die. So my dad's passed anyway, so they can't really do anything to him if he did do it, but it wouldn't surprise me. But anyway, that guy came to work and begged for forgiveness and asked for forgiveness because he knew that the next year I got cancer and stuff. So I guess he felt, you know, not responsible, but felt bad or whatever. And that was the first one I'd ever done. But, uh, and now i do a lot of creative visualization stuff and positive formations and stuff like that I haven't done the old p jar and <laughs> 20 plus years but i'm just kind of curious what were some of the first ones that spells that you did are you, or what what kind of what are some that you do now we just are you dr strange <laughs> <laughs> <I told laughs> I can never I
2: can never grow a goatee that even so you do do it's it's <laughs> it's odd because i there is a lot for a lot of people, and I understand it's odd on my part, <laughs> because for a lot of people, spell work is, you know, I begin, I have a he has a middle, it has a beginning, a middle, and end. you know, I'm going to go and do this intentionally, and I have those but they're very rare. Uh, a lot of those are for things like holidays, you know, for equinoxes and solstices and things like that. Uh, my spell work is usually very on the fly because I have developed a working relationship with the Eidolons that I, you know, work with, and for lack of a better thing to say. And Uh, It is simply enacting will throughout the day. It's um, slightly nudging in a positive direction the various currents of causality that I might detect and oftentimes it is listening to kind of that Melody that thought pulse of existence telling me I need to be in place a at time a Because I'm going to be needed there, and then I have the capacity to help in that place when I'm there. And that could be something like buying someone lunch, or it could be something like doing some more overt, you know, esoteric work for someone. Uh, I try not to do what I will call irresponsible spell work. (laughs) uh, But... As I said, I've been doing this since I was very small, so there have been some incidences of that in my life, especially in my teenage years. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I can, I'm happy to say none of it's been harmful. But I did once get my friend's neighbor to move, uh, which was perhaps not the most responsible use of my, uh, you know, ability, but. It was kind of positive for everyone because they moved because they got an unexpected job offer in another state the next day after the ritual was done because my friend had a neighbor that was uh in a unit above him that was constantly blasting music till three in the morning and smoking uh in the house and putting it through the vents uh, i was aggravating his asthma and so i you know called up the, the eidolons at my disposal and we're like hey can we get can we make it so this person maybe?" isn't there anymore but in a way that it will harm no one and they got a, offered a job two states over so great but hey,
1: you know i think that that is perfectly fine because you're, <laughs> you're not wishing you're wishing you're wishing not wishing them harm you just
2: what you don't want harm for yourself either you know what i mean it's like yeah but normally i try to I try to people kind of like let things take their course for people unless they need help yeah. and 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 i have been given the the okay to provide that help or been told by like i said that current that takes me through life that hey this person's struggling help them out like, okay what can i do you know and, and is it something very magical or is it simply listening to the magic and that tells me i need to go buy them a sandwich
1: but, uh, <laughs> I've, you know, I've done stuff like that. Like there, there, there I've done things like I, when, when I was finishing my graduate degree, I worked uh, for well, I worked for a total of seven years at this one place. But um, I was, I was continuing to work there at t- towards the end of my graduate um, program at a metaphysical bookstore in Kansas City, Missouri. So we sold a lot of occult books and you know all kinds of things from all different types of traditions, and. And we we also would get like um, as you can imagine very very special people that would come. This is what you refer <laughs> you refer to certain types of customers, you know, uh, that are into certain types of spirituality. That that um, for for you know that they become attached to those and and they develop this kind of special sense about who they are <laughs> and kind of act that way. And um, I got to the I, I ended up getting to this place where. Um, if they had ordered a book and and um, and they were particularly a, a particularly obnoxious person, and I didn't want to have to deal with them anymore, um, what I would actually do is I would pay for the book myself, and then call them and tell them that the book had been paid for by someone so that they could come in and get it whenever they wanted to, so that I didn't have to put up with them. And it worked really, really (laughs) well. I mean, that, I mean, obviously I would give myself my discount, you know, so it's not like I would pay for the entire price of the book. But what ended up happening a lot of times is that when they came in, because a lot of times people like that don't have a lot of money anyway, and that's probably part of why they're crabby. But, um, it would it would sort of change the nature of their interaction in the yes. place you know and uh, so i i would do little spells like that <laughs> you know you know the, the killing them with kindness but they don't know who did it
2: you know but that's i think that is in some ways some of the purest kind of kindness <laughs> when you're doing it for its own sake and not for the credit. You're saying, Oh, I did something nice. In this case, it also helped you out. So really it was a win, win, Right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, and they'll never know. So it doesn't matter. You know, it's like the best magic, the most, important. The, the to me, the most important um, end of magic, whether you're doing bad stuff or not or good stuff is, and this is where, this is where like, People who are even doing dark stuff screw up. You cannot let anyone know. I mean, you know, the whole thing about to know, to will, to do, and keep silent. You cannot let anyone know specifically what you're doing. It just it wrecks it, and it wrecks it for you. You know, well, it just wrecks it.
2: You know, that's actually really that's always been an interesting concept to me because one of the things that I I say in Steel Sigil and Call is that all magic the the prime um, fuel of all magic is will, you
0: know,
2: and will is, you know, that that's what you need. You don't need to go, like I said, buy expensive things or whatever you need to, you need to focus, center yourself and project, you know, your intention. Uh, and I've always found that very interesting as silence or secrecy as a, as a magical component, because at the end of the day, what you're doing there is isolating an effect to only your will no one else knows right. what it is doing therefore no one else can willfully affect it
1: right and well and to me yeah it's 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 like holding there's there's it's like holding that container um i mean i don't really make a differentiation between Will and love, actually. Mm-hmm. because for me, uh, I define love a little bit differently than the way it's commonly defined, especially in magic, particularly by Crowley. Uh, and uh, um, to me, will it, uh, love is sort of the will of the universe. Um, in the sense of growth, maximum growth, tendency tendency towards healing, tendencies, you know, tendencies towards, those kinds of things. Um, And so for me, um, for me, when I'm doing any kind of work, it has to come from, it has to come from a place of of maximum growth and expansion for everyone. And sometimes that means, that means that you're going to have to, for me, that I'm going to have to let some things go, let some people go, Mm Uh, it's not always comfortable you know we we want love to be a comfortable thing
2: growth is rarely comfortable
1: <laughs> right, right exactly and it's not always a comfortable thing in fact frequently it's not if you're it's it's kind of like mushrooms
2: <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> frankly it's it not. all comes back to that <laughs> well, it all comes back you well, you know well you've seen star trek discovery the whole the mycelia that holds <laughs> the whole universe together you know i want to be that tardigrade <laughs> You know, like season one. I want to be that tardigrade that's like, you know, traveling in that interdimensional mycelial network. That that's that's what I want. Um, sorry if that's a spoiler alert for anybody. So. <laughs>
0: but
2: I uh, no, I completely agree, and and you know, feel very strongly the same that you know, love is the universal will. Uh, and I usually define personal will as like thought and imagine given per- and imagination given purpose. Uh, because sometimes, like I said, sometimes, you know, wizards gotta pay the rent. So sometimes you exactly. need to do things, you know, as long as no one gets hurt, sometimes that's what you need to focus on. But definitely, you know, I think that, you know, to be an agent of kindness, to be an agent of compassion, uh, you know, and sow those, you know, radical seeds of, of goodness, wherever you can, is one of the most in line with the universal will things. You know one can do
1: well and and to me it's you know some people you know think that that's kind of real la la and it's like no it's not it's like really hard yeah <laughs> it's like really hard it's like it's like really hard being having you know compassion for someone you'd rather shoot into space and that doesn't mean and that doesn't mean that you put up with what they do no you know it, it doesn't mean that at all To
0: understand
2: something is not to excuse
0: it
1: exactly exactly
0: so, uh, what is an arc? I keep seeing that reference, and it so, spanning your arc through the illumination of the edelons.
2: So, this is just terminology that you know, because I am fanciful, <laughs> uh, like card, uh, and rather card, than just card calling catalog, it a list, <laughs> like
0: an astrocard catalog,
2: <laughs> but very similar. It's essentially like it's like your pokédex but we, so uh, to an arc is essentially a sum total of the place when what i would call your tome which is just your working notebook for your magic you know and a tome can be a one book that's contiguous or 80 thousand notebooks god knows mine are scattered in like every type of notebook you can imagine including legal pads but um that conclude that includes all of the information of all the eidolons you've contacted which if it is a completed entry would be you know a seal a sigil a call some information about how they appear to you uh or what ways you've worked with them Um uh, Etc. But very often are snippets. It might just be the seal because you've only illuminated it, and now you're going to meditate and you're going to you know contact that eidolon, commune with them, and you'll fill it out as you go. But the arc is essentially the list of eidolons
0: that you have available to work with. Fascinating, fascinating indeed.
1: <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just his nomenclature. I mean well, I would shoot. say I would say things like your bunch or <laughs> your batch or or your 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 uh, oh I would I, I I would I call those sort of like you know my my groupies <laughs> <laughs> you know the the, fo- the folks that live with me
2: now there's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of unique terminology in there which is kind of the uh kind of the uh product of kind of developing a lot of mine in a relative vacuum. Uh, yeah. When I, Which is funny, because when I was younger, I, I was in an environment that was very accepting of, you know, witchcraft in general. My mother, when I was, you know, involved in various covens in her youth, uh, and she kind of moved away from that because of various coven drama. But um, but she was always very open to, you know, witchcraft and, and occultism. Um, in general, as long as it was, you know, not done to harm anyone and mine never has been so but i just was never part of a big community uh i kind of just was very solitary i'd sit in my room and i'd i I read books like i read crowley when i was young and i was kind of like this probably isn't for me cool happy it was for him happy it's for many of my friends but not my thing and i just kind of developed my own very meditatively very observationally uh you know a lot of introspection a lot of time in nature a lot of time uh doing spell work and developing spell work um, and so it just came with me having a whole bunch of words for things that were just what I thought was a good word for it when I started doing this so yeah so that's why there is a terminology section in the beginning of the book
1: well it, well, it reminds me of what you know Austin Spare did you know he, he he created his own sigil system you know essentially and you know it worked for him really 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 well I don't know how well it works for anybody else. He had his own way of doing it, you know, Um, but, and it worked apparently incredibly well for him. So I, it's like, you know, I mean, I, I, I. That's another thing I appreciated about the book. I could, I, I. By the way, I really like the term Eidolon. I just haven't seen it in a really, really long time. I was like, when I opened the book, I was like, oh, he's talking about Eidolons. Ah, <laughs> I haven't seen this word in years. So I'm going to have to start thinking about that word now. Uh, I, I love words because of how they're, you know, especially words that are that haven't been part of our vernacular for a long time. You know, I like to go back and plumb 18th and 19th century (laughs) vocabularies, you know, to see what words can be brought forward again, because it's a very, there's just just so many words.
2: (laughs) That's actually one of the first things uh, when I originally, uh, the first draft of this book was read by two people before it got uh, submitted to to Llewellyn. And it was my wife. Uh, and my mother, my wife, does not have a uh, esoteric background. She's very supportive of it and thinks it's very cool, but it's never been for her. Uh My mother does to degree, and is also a writer. She actually writes young adult fiction. Go grab *The Secret of the Sea Witch* on Amazon. It's a book about a young adult mermaid who is going through some cool witchcraft stuff and has a lot of environmental messages. But my mother, being a writer, immediately read. And one of the things she said, she's like, "Well, she's like, you know, I love you, and I think this is well written. It's going to need some editing, but it does sound like it was written by some dude from like 1852." And so. I also have a fondness for old language. Some of it had to be edited out before it got to the book you have in your hands.
0: <laughs> and, uh, let's, who were some of your influences or authors or when you growing up with all this? There's... Uh,
2: so I didn't read, like I, said, I didn't read a lot of, uh, or incorporate a lot of occult authors. So, uh, you know, I read Crowley, Levi, um, uh, you know, I had a lot of my mother's actually older witchcraft books, which were more, uh, you know, earth based. Uh, read Cunningham things like that. But most of uh, my linguistic and writing influences come from like Victor Hugo and Alexander Dumas and like <laughs> oh, things like that. Dumas. Big so. Dumas. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: you know, Neil
2: Gaiman fan. Well, yeah,
1: so yeah, so he he's 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 he, he's a literary guy. <laughs> yeah yeah that's nice. fun that's very fun so it's what the secret of the sea witch and so this is your mom md, MD mascara. mascara yes okay very cool very very cool
0: i've read american gods great book Yeah, that is really I, uh,
2: also a Sa- graphic novel fan sandman was like Amazing and I actually love the like, yeah, adaptation actually, of it. I, I like which Trinidad. I wasn't expecting to because I'm always I'm always <clears throat> uncharacteristically cynical about adaptations of books for the screen. So
0: Yeah, graphic novels are a lot of fun. I collect a lot of the Batman and Joker ones and oh, stuff. And great. Not too long ago I got a, a one that Alex Ross did of uh Fantastic Four by Jack Kirby. He redid it with his art. It's called Full oh, Circle. Cool. Definitely uh I need to check that out, but <clears throat> and there's some James Tinney and uh, Joker solo series that I want to check out where Joker like goes against this house of cannibals, kind of like house of a thousand corpses. But there was uh-huh. a, those just came out in graphic novel form. I have the comics, but it's cool. easier to read the, the graphic seen, novels. A Batman fan. Yeah. But and I think
2: it, probably characteristically, I think don't think this surprises anyone. Like I'm really a big fan of like Alan Moore and like swamp thing, Promethea, uh you know uh i like lock and key a lot like i like all this this stuff hellblazer yeah Yeah, (laughs) so i'm I'm a stereotype in that regard (laughs) i have
0: his lovecraft (laughs) stuff he did i have his lovecraft stuff i have absolute sandman one and two i need three one year like uh, i need to get it before something that goes up in price or something stupid (laughs) I uh,
2: i have actually all of the original issues of the
0: sandman wow um, nice those are worth a lot. Uh, like I, inher- worth I inherited
2: a lot. those though and i will therefore never give them up from my godfather it was a really Tell big you. literary influence in my life in my life he was a huge prolific reader and writer and scholar and uh, when he passed they were like you should have these and i was like you're right and thank you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you
1: know, that's a great Capricorn response.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I've looked those up on eBay. I was like, Nope, I'm never gonna open those, but I'll be getting the graphic novels, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, comics are a mess, they're fun and beautiful. Like, I love all the Todd McFarlane Spawn stuff, like, there's Gunslinger Spawn. But there's just so many. It's like a rabbit hole you fall down that you'll drown in if you're not careful.
2: I used to love the uh, the figures as a kid where I'd see them. And I'd be like, I want this. My mom was like, is he like ripping somebody's spine out? No. No, I'm not bringing this in the
0: house. <laughs> no, Spawn's not ripping someone's spawn, uh, spine out. No. Of course <laughs> not. But yeah, Alan Moore's great. I have some of his Lovecraft stuff, but I haven't read it yet but in graphic novel form. Providence. And there's some other one that I have, I know and uh have to check it out but for sure uh so what about have you had any paranormal kind of stuff happen because of result of this kind of work
2: it's hard to say if it's a result i don't think i can like empirically say this is as a result because it's something i've been doing my whole life so literally any experience i could have had could have theoretically been from it uh i've had see most of the things people consider paranormal have happened to me are things i have like done in my own ritual work so i'm like Mm -hmm. it's (laughs) self-induced but um a couple things that have happened to me uh when i really try to dig down think of it one time i had an experience that i like i almost i rarely tell people about because it just seems honestly somewhat cliche uh because i was lying in my bed i think i was 15 at the time uh moonlight was streaming through the window uh but the moonlight was casting shadows onto the floor not the ceiling because the angle of where i lived on a hill but on the ceiling all of a sudden i see a shadow of a gigantic wing that moves across my ceiling and then just stops above my bed and i immediately become like completely terrified and then i hear in like my mind i could tell this is you know there was no sound the air wasn't vibrating i could tell this is in in my head i heard i heard be not afraid and i was like oh this is some There's some stereotypical. (laughs) Be not
0: afraid. (laughs) Be not afraid. And the other weird kind
2: of semi paranormal thing that happened was the same house uh, up, you know, in the part of New Jersey where the Appalachians moved through New Jersey, uh, you know, and I lived on a, a little glacial lake up there. And I was sitting at this was several years after I think it was 20 at the time. Uh, my mom had to deal with me in her house for several years. Just gonna say that. But um, uh, I was sipping coffee out on the dock, on the lake, a little rundown, little cement dock that was half dilapidated. And looking out, and I looked, saw another dock, it's like four docks down. I saw this big dog, uh, and it was this white and reddish dog, like white belly, almost like a husky, only instead of where a husky is like gray or black on top it was red and a sunbeam was just coming directly down onto it from from the sky which was otherwise cloudy and I was like that's weird sitting there drinking my cup of coffee and like that's what a coincidence what a what a pretty dog standing out on that dog with the sun and all of a sudden it starts walking towards the end of the dock I'm like okay where are you going dog and the dog walks off the dock and proceeds to still walk while it is in midair for about 10 feet and then kind of looks very briefly at me And then just disappears. Wow. And I was like, well, this is a
0: thing.
1: (laughs) This is a thing I'm drinking my coffee, man. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm
1: drinking my coffee.
0: (laughs) So you saw a dog walk off like a dock and it just kind of like was in the air. Maybe it was like a spirit dog or something. It
2: could be. I've really, one of the things is I know that. I have a tendency to attempt to find explanations naturally. I have an inclination towards it. probably comes from my grandfather, who was very, very mathematically and scientifically inclined. But I have really learned to not do that anymore. Like I just when things happen I'm just like, I can't explain that. And you know what? Maybe I never will. I'm going to accept that experience for what it was. Be grateful that it happened. And uh, it evoked some sort of, you know, wonder in me at at how little I actually probably know about existence. And I'm going to finish my cup of coffee. (laughs) Uh,
0: It reminds me of a story. Uh, One time I was tripping at a lake on a Halloween with my brother and a friend. And it was Halloween. And I went off on my own and heard weird music. And the water seemed warm, like warmer than it should be at this beautiful lake and i saw reptilian-like beings but they weren't physical it was like they were like kind of like holograms or something and one was like a hydra the other one was humanoid and had some kind of weird i don't know almost i would say like i don't think it was snakes but it makes you kind of think of medusa or something and there may have been another one i don't remember what that one looked like i just remember the hydra and that humanoid but I thought I was seeing fallen angels uh mm-hmm. of the devil. And but they kept saying, We love you, seeing dance, right. And they're saying like Deepak Chopra stuff to me. <laughs> so so it's kind of confusing, but I'll never forget it. I don't know what it was, but it, I've seen I have these uh Oracle cards or like wood glyphs from Mayan gods and some of the weird pictures of their gods, that's what it reminds me of. Uh, but it was strange, and I'll never forget it. But that night, there was two Gregs there. My brother said he saw big red eyes out in the woods, and this other big, big Greg dude was doing, like, diet pills or something, and he, like, acted <laughs> possessed and tried to drive us into the lake. <laughs> like, it was scary.
2: With the same stuff, like, to me, in the quote-unquote Western, you know, sense of sensibility we have this idea like yeah there's a lot of stigmatization of the serpent but you know the serpent in a lot of cultures is a symbol of wisdom uh, you know and, and closeness to the land uh and i mean i'm always going to come here and talk about how snakes are awesome because i have snakes and like them so but uh you know i i think that that's really cool having you know some serpentine beings be like hey man go out there and dance like i like that
0: yeah what kind of snakes do you have? I used to work at Petco and take care of a lot of them.
2: I have a, I have four. I have a corn snake, a king snake, a ball python, and a Taiwanese beauty snake.
0: What are their names? The oh names?
2: man, uh, there are Astarte, Shakti, Celeborn, and Rygen.
1: Nice, nice. I love snakes personally. I th- I just think I love it too. The wonderful. They're wonderful, wonderful creatures. I I, I agree. I, no, I, I spend I mean, a lot of time with them. I, well, and I do. You know, some of the ceremonial stuff I do is is naga stuff. I just really. Right. I I mean, I've had I've had them appear in my dreams. Um, you know, I've that's one of the energies that I that I work with a lot, and I, I just cool. I just really. I love snakes a lot. When I was
2: uh, when I was young, uh, or I mean, I'm, I'm still young, I think. <laughs> when, I, when I was young, for very me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean,
1: you're you're much you're much younger than I am.
2: So, but when I was like 11 or 10, uh, my mom she was a fine arts teacher uh, the, for her day job, uh, and she has a master's in fine arts, and she did a lot of metal sculpture, and she did this pendant of a Minoan snake goddess mm. that, like, to this day I remember, and she probably still has somewhere. And I want, but I know it's one of her favorites too. So I'm probably not going to get it, but like, I've always had like kind of that. It's probably, probably the earliest memories of where I got an association with like snakes are cool. It was probably from that Minoan snake goddess pendant my mom made.
1: Yeah, they are cool. I mean, I, I just, I just, I, they're like one, there, there are different types of animals, several types of animals that I like to just watch. You know, like I, I love to watch just watch snakes and I love to watch spiders actually. I'm really, really into spiders. I know people that like the, it's become sort of a thing to, to, have like little jumping spiders as pets yeah we started breeding them and stuff because they are really cute now if the, i mean if they were the size of a dog or a car we'd feel differently about them but <laughs> you know we could be terrified of them but um i do think spiders are very cool and i and i like to watch them and i also like to watch cats you know yeah. so those are i mean these are animals that i can just sit and watch you know how they move how they just are yeah you know? i just think they're beautiful Octopuses are, octopuses are another one. Oh, I never meet an octopus once when I, when I had, I was on fellowship after graduate school in, in Washington DC for a year. And uh, um, I would go to the national zoo, like almost every other weekend or something. And you go, you go early before the crowds come right when they open and you can see all these cool things. And I, I went into the invertebrate house one morning before anybody else was there and they had just gotten a new octopus in and they were putting her in her tank and getting her oriented and I, so I, and i you know i'd started talking to some of the keepers and they were like Do you want to meet Chloe? And I was like, sure. So I got to meet this octopus. She was so cool. She—it's like the way the way. Well, you—you know instantly if they don't like you. If they don't like you, they spray you with a siphon and run away because—and they don't know why. It's like it's just something they're sensing. Yeah. You know, on you. But she liked me. But what you put? What you do is you put your hand down, and then they're tentacles come and they run their tentacles up your arm and then she that she would rise up out of the water and just look at you
2: oh that's so cool
1: just look at you and you could and you could tell there was a person there
2: oh yeah it was intelligent
1: there and i can't eat
2: octopuses i used to eat them but i can't anymore because i i I don't eat any animals for much the same reason (laughs) like because i have had so many uh experiences with them where i've been like you are conscious and now I'm going to feel bad. So
1: yes. I'm afraid I haven't yet f- felt that way about chickens, and I and I do like chickens. I've known chickens. I I, I think chi- you know. And, and the way I explain it is, I don't know. I like chickens. I've had chickens as pets. I was raised on a farm for the first part of my life. I, I it's like I like chickens. They're they're wonderful people. They taste good, <laughs> you know. I, mean, you know, I, I I'm, I'm sure I try to be ethical in what chickens I eat, you know. But it's kind of like I haven't quite made that shift yeah. with everything, you know. But um,
2: well, so I also like spend so most of my time stuff. with snakes. And like no one's ever asked me to eat one, so that would. <laughs> oh, no, I, would, I, I wouldn't but... be able
1: to eat a steak or, unless I was starving. Now, if I was starving, I would probably eat anything.
2: I <laughs> well, I mean, starvation is starvation. Yeah, exactly. I, I think of, people. I think if. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's ha- We have historical references, but. Uh, yeah. Coming right. back to uh, spy- to spiders. I love spiders, but I will never have a spider because my wife is terrified of spiders. So, I very often am called on to take one in like a piece of paper in a cup and go. Well, you know, at least you take them
1: out. You don't. At least you don't kill them. You don't take. You. You don't. At least you don't kill them. I mean, I take them out if they're the wrong kind of spider to be in the house. You know, some spiders need to be outside. Yeah. Or, or in the winter time now, I take them down to the basement. Um yeah. But, but uh, I don't kill them.
2: Yeah. It's left don't. to my own devices, I'd be like, "Hey, spider, what's up? I'm you." Know. <laughs> You're not bothering me. I'm just gonna but my wife is like, "No, no, he's fine. You just need to make him leave. And I' was like like okay, that's that's fine right. i mean
1: we we have solar spiders in the house. I live in a household where where no no being, no no arthropod is summarily killed just because it exists. you know, uh, we usually they we usually let them hang out. I don't want them in my food, you know, so like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I I mean, I make some provisions, but I don't we don't kill them.
0: So. and uh let's see uh what was it oh the, i came across some paranormal encounters of a being that looked like the reptilian humanoid throughout the south uh that were like these uh reports and it was very similar to what i saw but there was no hydro with it or whatever that must have been as as fred fred barney or whatever his friend barney but he uh it was kind of eerie to come across those paranormal encounter stories and it was a similar being that people had seen in other states in the South that looked. It's definitely strange. Yeah. But uh it's been a uh, great having you on uh JR and that's uh JR Mascaro seal sigil and call a new approach to ritual uh magic. And uh would you have a link or anything you want to give out?
2: Uh you can go to my website at jrmascaro.com. Uh there is a button right on the homepage if you want to go buy the book. And there's also a tab for all my events, book signings, etc., conventions I'll, I'll be at.
0: Very cool. And one thing I want to say about Capricorns—they, I see a lot of these tarot people like to throw us in with the devil card. That's what they do in those readings. They're like Capricorn devil, Capricorn devil card. Devil I guess it's card. the
2: horns, maybe.
0: Yeah, this <laughs> is like some pan stereotypical yeah. typical. <laughs> but I've been—I saw a lot of them do it, and I was like, I didn't—I looked it up. We, me and William, have gotten into it, you know, deeper than that. But it's just stereotyping Capricorns. They're all supposed to be stockbrokers too, according to a lot of these dumb sites. Oh, wow, big, yeah, no. Well, I'm <laughs> a
1: big fan of Capricorn personally. I'm not one. I wish I was one, <laughs> but uh, I am a fan of Capricorn. So. And we appreciate. If I have to come back here, I want. I want to come back as a Capricorn. If I have to come back here, hope I don't have to.
0: Old friend, uh, we got like three minutes, but Blake Downing, Juggalo Squatcher, a Juggalo who is used to, you know, he's still into Bigfoot, but used to out in the field. He said in a comment, "It made me happy to hear you prank called the dog place." I, I heard it. last episode. And what it was is this crazy dog, crappy place that was torturing beagles with weird uh-huh. stuff. One day I got mad after Christina showed me some stuff. And I said, oh, you know, I wanted to do something. We did the little sign. So I prank called them. I was like, hell's coming. Like I, I said, weird stuff. I, tried, I was careful and didn't, you know, wasn't threatening or whatever. Something like that. But anyway, that place got shut down shortly after. Nice. And so I was right. I was like, hell's oh, coming. And <laughs> hell came and shut him down. It was from like all those people signing the thing and all that stuff. But they were doing crazy stuff to dogs. Like my dog, Jack, who passed away of 16 years. It was similar. To, uh, he had some of that beagle in him or whatever, but that's what made me even madder. So I started prank calling them. But uh, Blake Downing, this is TMI, I know, but once Blake Downing said he heard someone rib a fart on the show when I was a co-hosting with Beazle. <laughs> Wasn't me. Wasn't me Beazle it was, said, was it me. was it me because it was But Beazle said chair, so he might have been playing it off. But I'm just saying when he said that, I cried He'd so hard <laughs> laughing. I heard somebody rib a fart on the show. But anyway, on that note... <laughs> I have to watch the French. Thank Dispatch. you so
1: much, Jeffrey, for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the French Dispatch is the only Wes Anderson movie I haven't seen yet. Maybe watching that soon. So, and the Last of Us on HBO about the fungi zombies. Check it out. It's supposed to be like really good. The game is really good, but they say it's really good, so that's good. Uh, but thanks so much, so much, uh, Jr. and Wham. And thanks everybody for listening to United Public Radio. Thank, you, up, <laughs> thank you very much,
2: and thank you for having me. Much keep success. Us in
0: the loop in the future and Capricorn, Saturn. Let me not know. Hitler did that with Saturn. Sons of Saturn. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> not good. But that he had a little Saturn fetish. I bet he wasn't a Capricorn. He did have one testicle like me, which is freaky. <laughs> they sung songs about I it. I
1: don't think that that is a necessary Capricorn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he was a Capricorn. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think he was, but maybe. I don't know. I hope not. Oh, we already gosh. got Marilyn Manson, we got to get rid of him because he's being a freak. I used to like his music, but now all these weird stories, it's hard to listen to his music. But I did see Antichrist Superstar Tour in 1996. That was freaking insane in Atlanta. But uh, anywho, everybody have a good weekend. Good night, everybody. Take care. Take care, JR. Keep us in the loop on future stuff. We'll get you back on. Thanks, man. Definitely
2: will. Thank you for having me.
1: Take it easy. Bye bye.